0: Hello, and welcome to Boston Private Perspectives. I'm Shannon Sakosha, Chief Investment Officer at Boston Private, and I want to thank you again for joining us today. On today's podcast, I'm going to touch on one of the biggest challenges facing investors, economists, and policymakers in the coming months, and that is inflation. While we have been discussing the potential for inflation to upset the Fed and other central banks' accommodative approach, recent economic data releases have indicated that the risks appear to be rising. As we've discussed previously, consumer activity is by far the most important driver of the global economy and was certainly expected to be the main driver of the anticipated robust economic recovery coming out of the pandemic. That has proven to be the case. We have seen a significant increase in consumer activity over the course of the last nine months. Some of this has been fueled by stimulus payments here in the United States, um, as well as other programs to encourage services spending in the UK. And consumers have come out in force, particularly over the last two or three months, to start spending on services Things they hadn't been spending on for the last year or so, although we did see uh, continued goods spending in over the course of last summer as well as into the fall. Really, this return of services spend, which had become a much bigger percentage of consumer spending over the last several years, given the shift from you know, sort of buying things to buying experiences, we've really seen that accelerate over the course of the last few months. And one of the things that many folks in looking at their portfolios, particularly in the equity side of their portfolio last year, was looking to potentially take advantage of this return of the consumer back to areas like travel and hospitality, um, areas that had been decimated during the pandemic. However, what's happened is that with this very sharp, and significant shift in demand. In this very short period of time, there have been a number of unintended consequences. So the first place we're seeing that is in the employment market. So in the labor market currently, we are um, in a situation where we have a lot of job openings, and we still have a lot of people who are unemployed. So we are unemployment rate has not recovered to its pre pandemic level. We still have uh, a number of people that are receiving unemployment benefits. In some states, they're still receiving expanded or additional unemployment benefits as provided by uh, the federal government uh, through its various COVID-19 relief packages. And there is a clear and present need for employers, particularly in the sharply recovering services industry, to hire people. And you know, with this mismatch, there has been incremental increases in wages in order to create uh, a more attractive proposition for some of these companies. Um, it remains to be seen over the course of the next couple of years if this supply-demand mismatch in the labor market can be overcome, or if instead there are people who took the opportunity during the pandemic to make the decision that certain services roles, uh, which are the vast percentage of the job openings that are available currently, are no longer for them. Um, And so you know, one of the things that we're looking at is, you know, are these businesses going to be able to c- to fill the roles that they have open? Will wages need to continue to rise? Um, and why that's important is that companies don't digest all of those costs internally. Uh, we've also seen higher input costs. So notwithstanding the significant supply chain disruption that we experienced last year. And the fact that, you know, for many companies with vast global operations, many, you know, many of their um, supply chains were disrupted from this pandemic, from the inability to travel, from the inability to uh, keep workers employed uh, due to the pandemic. And so input costs started to rise. Uh, You couple that with this massive increase in demand. And clearly, you know, whether it's commodities um, or whether it's finished goods um, that go into, you know, rebuilding a house such as windows, all of those input costs have started to rise. And so all of these companies are now facing, particularly small businesses are facing, you know, the potential to have to pay more, higher wages um, against a, you know, very small pool of applicants for many positions higher input costs. And what's happened is, is that we've experienced this flow through of higher prices to the consumer. Now, it hasn't been one for one. Um, For instance, last month, um, in the month of July, producer prices rose almost 8% and consumer prices rose 5.5%. And that typically occurs, uh, producer prices, rise, uh, the next, you know, several months, they try to pass those costs on to the consumer, they also are likely to try to mitigate those higher costs, but can't do it overnight. So whether that's through, um, you know, changing inputs, you know, if you've been Ordering anything that you've ordered historically, um, that comes in packaging, you'll notice that in many cases packaging looks different than it did previously, and that's a result of not only some of these disruptions, but also companies looking to avoid margin compression by finding substitutes that are available at a lower price. And so this uh, inflation, as expected, has been flowing down the to the consumer. And at first, it appeared that, particularly here in the United States, you know, consumers were willing to pay those higher prices, given the fact that uh, for many, particularly those who uh, were able to continue working through the pandemic for um, the ability to, you know, move from an office location to a home location and continue to be employed, you know, not having that outlook for spend. Resulted in a, a much higher savings rate. And so some of that s- savings is, is starting to be spent down. Couple that with, as I mentioned, expanded unemployment benefits and stimulus checks. It did seem that consumers felt that it was, you know, perhaps they were paying slightly higher prices, but against the backdrop of, of a year in which, you know, many people didn't get to live the life that they had been accustomed to prior to the pandemic. Seem to be an acknowledgement that perhaps this was the result of that and that higher prices were here to stay. Interestingly, more recently, we've started to hear from consumers through consumer confidence surveys that perhaps they are becoming more concerned about these higher prices. And you can point to again, you know the the um the fact that we're not receiving any more stimulus checks the fact that many of these expanded unemployment benefits um are no longer available um and will likely not be available anywhere uh in the over the next several months and you look at that in terms of what does that look like for the consumer basket you know over the next 12 18 24 months and what consumers are saying is they're saying i feel like currently Uh, I'm paying too much for some of these major purchases. One of the areas of inflation that we've seen that's been most pronounced is in something like used cars. And it seemed as if those prices were continuing to rise and it seemed as if the demand was continuing to be fairly inelastic um, or unchanging based on those higher prices. That type of purchase is exactly the type of thing that consumers are now starting to balk at and so from from that perspective if they look out over the course of the next year you know maybe this robust improvement in consumer spending could wane a bit there's also a, you know a very straightforward rationale for why consumer confidence could be waning as well and that is the rise of the delta variant so much was made about the necessity to get um you know at least 70% of the population vaccinated in an effort to ensure he- herd immunity um with many people already uh stricken by the covid-19 virus earlier on in the pandemic you had you know both that um anticipated immunity for for those people but also with this this big push for vaccination and it was expected that as we saw cases subside into the beginning of the summer, um, that perhaps, you know, we had moved past the worst of the pandemic and could look forward to something akin to what we experience um, every year with influenza, um, where there might be additional strains. Uh, You know, there's typically a vaccine that's available. Um, Some years it's more effective than others, Um, but it's also... It is also anticipated that there would be perhaps the need for additional boosters that could mitigate um, a significant increase in cases as we moved into the fall. Of course, the Delta variant um, has proven to be uh, more contagious. Um, You know, the uh, effects are apparently more severe. Um, than previous variants of COVID-19. And we are seeing, unfortunately, albeit still a small percentage, breakthrough uh, cases for vaccinated individuals. And that coming into the fall and winter, um, which has been more challenging, particularly for some of the larger population centers in the United States, such as the Northeast, over the last year, uh, that's creating some. Concern in consumers as well, and so what? What can be done? Um, because if you think about the intent of the Fed, for instance, they are looking at their dual mandate of inflation and employment, and they are seeing improvement in the employment situation, improvement in the labor market. There still seems to be a mismatch, uh, but the potential for improving employment there still seems to be momentum behind the fact that with anywhere from, you know, 700,000, 800,000, 900,000 jobs being added from a non-farm payroll perspective each month, clearly we're on a trajectory for an improvement um in the labor market here in the United States. And it's Unlikely that the Fed will wait to get back to pre pandemic numbers before they have a case to start tightening. On the flip side, the Fed is very concerned about this trend of higher prices in the consumer basket. The fact that they're hearing from consumers that they are concerned to make larger, larger, large purchases, that they are concerned about you know, the relative purchasing power that they're experiencing based on these sharp increases, particularly in things like food and gas. Um, That creates concern from the Fed because at the end of the day, that pass through from producers to consumers and then consumers ability to continue to maintain their purchasing power of their consumer basket is really, you know, at the heart of it. Um, what the Fed is most concerned about when they talk about their inflation mandate. The flip side is that if they choose to start tightening, likely first through the tapering of bond purchases, so, you know, decreasing that amount on a monthly basis and whether they start that in January, they start that in March, um, that's on the horizon. But potentially accelerating that taper could mitigate some of the inflationary impacts. It could also slow an economy that as of right now we're not sure what the potential economic impact of the delta variant or a subsequent variant that you know could take hold the same way delta has over the last month and to six weeks. Um that's an unknown for the Fed. They they Assume that there will not be the level of economic destruction that we experienced last year because there will not be the level of lockdowns and social restrictions that were put on the U.S. economy last year. However, what's much more difficult to gauge is the behavioral response that could come from consumers that are, one, feeling the pressure of higher prices, and two, feeling the pressure of this is a here-we-go-again situation with uh, COVID-19. I, you know, I was increasing my spend on services. I was increasing my spend outside of the home. Perhaps now it's time to ratchet that back. We're hearing from airlines that what they call near-term bookings, which is cancellations that are very close to flight date, are increasing as cases increase. And we still have, you know, a population here of children under the age of 12 who are unvaccinated, there is no option for them. And while they still make up a very small percentage of cases, you know, certainly families with children in thinking about taking that trip or potentially doing something outside of the norm, um, there is going to be a behavioral response to what we're seeing. And so the Fed is stuck uh, currently between knowing that. At the end of the day, their mandate is focused on inflation, but also that pulling out the rug from underneath this economic recovery, akin to what happened back in Europe, um, that, you know, resulted in the European sovereign debt crisis when the European central bank raised rates too quickly after the 2008, 2009 financial crisis. The Fed is loath to make that mistake. Get, you know and, and create a similar experience here in the United States, and so it will become as if the Fed was not already under a, an immense amount of scrutiny um, and and as if Chairman Jerome Powell didn't have enough to worry about, um, now they're trying to balance you know how hot can they allow inflation to run, how long can they hold themselves? to this idea that this is transitory? And can they hold the line on that for the next six to nine months, knowing that at the end of that period, consumers could be facing higher prices and wages that aren't higher enough to offset some of the effect on that basket? And that for the Fed would be a very undesirable outcome. Thanks again for listening to this week's podcast. I want to encourage all of you to reach out to our team here at Boston Private with any questions or concerns you may have. If you have any questions or thoughts on my points today, you can find me on Twitter at Shannon Sakosha. You can also read our latest perspectives on the markets, the economy, financial planning, and where we go from here by visiting bostonprivate.com. And if you want all of this information delivered right to your inbox, I encourage you to sign up for our newsletters while you're there. Be sure to subscribe to the Boston Private Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. And I look forward to coming to you again next time.
1: The following does not represent a complete analysis of every material fact with respect to the topics covered herein. All investments carry a risk of loss. Listeners should review any planned financial transactions or arrangements that may have tax, accounting, or legal implications with their advisors. For additional information about us, please refer to our Form ADV Disclosure Brochure, which may be obtained by calling us at 800-422-6172 or emailing at info at Boston Private Bank and Trust Company has been merged into and is now Silicon Valley Bank. Banking, lending, and trust products or services under the name Boston Private are offered by Silicon Valley Bank, a California bank with trust powers. Silicon Valley Bank is a member of the FDIC and the Federal Reserve System and is an equal housing lender. Silicon Valley Bank is the California bank subsidiary of SVB Financial Group, NASDAQ, SIVB. SVB Wealth Advisory, member FINRA and SIPC, SEC-registered investment Advisory.